Good morning, Forest View. It's very nice to be with you this morning. It's nice to see nine of you and imagine the rest of you. We are continuing this morning in our series called Presence, Practicing the Ways of Jesus. Last week, uh, Nat led us off by looking at how we can experience the presence of, of God in our personal lives. And today we want to understand the presence of God in our communal lives. When it comes to experiencing the presence of God in our communal life, we have a favorite verse that we like to cite. It's this verse that, uh, that we love, but it's actually been a little bit misunderstood or taken out of context. Imagine this situation with me. If, as I describe it to you, tell me if this sounds familiar. The church bulletin comes out or you get the, the, uh, the church email and it's announcing the midweek prayer meeting. And underneath the announcement for the midweek prayer meeting are these words. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. We love that verse. It's a great promise. And of course, it's not untrue. It's just that unfortunately, it's not exactly what Jesus was talking about. This verse isn't just about our midweek prayer meeting. In fact, it's actually more specific than that. It's addressing a particular situation. And so to understand this verse in its context, we need to do a bit of work. So we're going to spend a bit of time looking at the context in which this verse is found, both the immediate context and the verses and the context within the chapter. So this verse, it's found in various gospels, but we're going to look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. In the broader context in which this verse is found, there are two parables preceding it. One precedes and one follows it. The one that, uh, that precedes this particular portion in the, math, in the gospel of Matthew is the parable of the sheep. The parable of the sheep is the story of a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep, one wanders off, so he leaves the 99 behind and he goes off in pursuit of that one. Uh, leaving the, the 99 at risk, he goes and tracks down and follows this and, and finds this one sheep. This is a parable of restoration. The passage that follows the passage that we're going to look at today in which this verse is found is the, uh, is the story of the unmerciful servant. This is also a very familiar uh, parable to us. It's the story of a... Uh, of a, of a servant who has a great debt to his master. He comes to the, to the master and he pleads for forgiveness of the debt and the master forgives him. He releases him from the full debt. That servant then goes out and finds his fellow servant to whom he is owed a smaller debt and when this other servant can't pay him back, he has him thrown into prison. And of course, when the master finds out about this, he is outraged. Now this parable that Jesus told is in response to Peter. Peter asking Jesus a question. And the question uh, Peter asks him is, Jesus, how many times must I forgive a brother or sister who has sinned against me? Is it seven times? Which to Peter feels like he's being very generous. And Jesus famously responds, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. We are a community of radical forgiveness, is what Jesus is telling Peter. So this is, the, uh, this is the context in which this passage that we're looking at today. It's a context of restoration and forgiveness. And so with that in mind, let's read our scripture for today. So it's Matthew chapter 18 from verses 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and correct them when you are alone together. If they listen to you, then you've won over your brother or sister. But if they won't listen, take with you one or two others so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. 
But if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. If they won't pay attention even to the church, treat them as, treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. I assure you that whatever, whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father who is in heaven will do it for you. And then, this very familiar verse, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. So in this passage, Jesus is describing this hypothetical situation where your brother or your sister has sinned against you, and he gives instruction on how, as a Christian community, defined by restoration and forgiveness, we're to respond. The process Jesus lays out, it's very practical. First you do this, and if that works, great. If not, you do this, and then this, and then this. And not only is the uh, process that Jesus lays out very practical, but it is idealistic. And it's idealistic in the best sense of the word. Because for Jesus, he imagines and he hopes for the best possible outcome. Jesus envisions a community that, uh, that cares enough about one another that it will pursue the 1%, that it will not be satisfied with 99, that it will pursue that one other. So let's spend some time looking together at this process. First, Jesus says, if someone has personally sinned against you, if they are drawing you away from God towards lesser gods, gods of comfort, success, and pleasure, or if they're playing to your greed and your consumptive patterns, or if someone has been dishonest towards you, or if they have said words to you that are hurtful or offensive, they've bullied you into some form of action or inaction, or they have failed to defend you. If someone has sinned against you, Jesus says, approach this person directly and speak to them about it. Now there's a caveat here. If it's not safe for you to do so, you can just jump to step number two. We're allowed to be wise about these situations, but assuming that it's safe for you to approach this person and pretending this thing didn't about this. First, we're not just papering over and pretending this thing didn't happen. We know it's our temptation because we all love to avoid conflict. We all hate conflict and very few of us uh, want to enter into conflict. We avoid it when we can. I'm an Enneagram 9. If that is you, I sympathize with you. But I also understand that that is not the right thing to do, that there is great value, that the right thing to do is to pursue this situation and try to make it right. Think about it this way. Someone once told Elizabeth and I that you have to do one hard thing every day. Well, if you're in this situation, that will be your hard thing. I don't think that's a really hard, fast rule. I think it should allow for a Sabbath. So if you have to do this one day, I think you get the day off the next day. It really is hard work. But yet, when we approach someone one-on-one, -on -one, we are doing something. We are offering the person the protection of their dignity by not making this thing public. And in doing so, we are extending grace to that person. As a church, we are to embody grace to one another. And this is a form of grace. And when we extend grace to one another, we are opening the door for restoration, for repentance. We're opening the door for repentance and restoration. Now, approaching someone about their sin is not like, you know that situation where someone has a crumb on the corner of their mouth and you're like, 
they might be a little bit embarrassed, but mostly they're going to be appreciative about it. Approaching someone about their sin, it's not like that. You can expect that someone is going to be defensive in their response. So you need to be prepared for that. You need to present or approach a person in a way that is going to reduce their defensiveness. And as you approach this person, you need to be prepared that they might shine a light back on you. So you need to do your own self-examination before you enter into this conversation. In what way might you be complicit in this sin? Do your own work beforehand and they, uh, so that you are prepared. Now, for all the effort that this takes, Jesus says there is a potential reward. If the person listens to what you've said, you have earned a sister or a brother. The restoration that takes place has the opportunity to bring us even closer together in community. If you've been around church for even a little while, uh, if you have read your Bible even a little bit, you'll be familiar with the story of the prophet Nathan and King David. This, what Jesus is describing, is perfectly laid out or perfectly demonstrated in the relationship between uh, Nathan and King David when King David had committed a great sin, the sin of adultery, and then covering up the murder of her husband uh, to, to hide away that sin. And the prophet Nathan creatively comes to King David with this parable. And in this parable, there's a rich man and a poor man. And this parable is a mirror of the situation that David has found himself in. Now, Prophet Nathan must have been a great storyteller because David is caught up in this story. And when he hears about the injustice of the rich man towards the poor man, he says, death to that man. And Nathan says, you are that man. And to David's credit, he responds with humility and he seeks the forgiveness of God through Nathan. And Nathan turned around and went home. So the story of David and Nathan, Nathan and David, ends well. It ends with the repentance of David. But in the hypothetical case that Jesus is describing, Jesus realizes that hard-heartedness may set in and the person may not be willing to concede or acknowledge wrongdoing. But we don't give up on that person, both for their sake and for the sake of the community. Rather, if that's the case, Jesus says to bring two or three people with you um, to corroborate the story, to bring some evidence against them or, or, to, or to strengthen the witness against them. Now, the Jewish listeners, the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to would have been familiar with this. In the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law of the Jewish people, uh, it says that if you are to bring uh, um, a charge of a crime against someone, a major crime, you need to have for the protection of that person who you are um, charging, you need to have two or three witnesses. It can't just be your word against their word. The judge needs to know that there are additional witnesses. So the, the, uh, the audience would have been familiar with this idea. And of course, if you're right about these things, then you also have witnesses who can, you have two or three people who can bear witness to the situation, which protects and prepares you for the next step, if necessary. And Jesus says, well, what is the next step? He says that if people still won't pay attention, even with two or three witnesses, you're to bring the church, the situation to the church. In particular, you're to bring the situation to the church leadership. Admittedly, at this point, it sounds like it's, things are getting serious, right? It sounds really heavy. It sounds uh, harsh. 
But notice that the goal of restoration and forgiveness has not changed. The goal is still the same. And if the goal hasn't changed, then the forum that we're going to create for this kind of dialogue before church leadership is, not, is, is, is going to be safe. It may be uncomfortable at times, of course, but it's going to be safe. Our own criminal justice system recognizes the value of a structure like this. For at least 30 years, the criminal justice system in Canada has allowed for sentencing circles among First Nations communities in which the offender and the offended, each with their support group, as well as broader members of the community, get together to seek restoration between the offender and the offended and to, um, and to recommend a fair and appropriate sentence for the offender. And the judge in most cases will take that, um, that recommendation and apply it to the, to the court case. But the sentencing circle will only work if there has been an admission of guilt. And in this hypothetical situation that Jesus is walking us through, if there's no admission of guilt, then Jesus says, it's time to part ways. Whew. We in the church, we posit that. We hate this thought. We call this excommunication, and that's a word that carries a lot of baggage for some people. You may have seen that applied really poorly, and you wonder, would we really do this? Is this something that is really the right thing to do? And as we think that way, we must ask ourselves, as we judge the merits of such a thing, we can ask ourselves a couple of questions. First of all, what is the best and safest thing for the community? Earlier in the chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks very seriously about, uh, how to, about the effects of someone who is bringing and leading people into sin. In particular, he's talking about children. But those who are humble, like children, Jesus says it's better for that person who is drawing them away into sin to have a millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the sea. Using great exaggeration, Jesus is saying this stuff is serious. We need to think about what is best and safest for the community. And we might also ask ourselves, are we really removing a person from the community or have they, by essence of breaking covenant with the community, already removed themselves. But still, you might have an, object, an objection. And the one, you remember the shepherd? And what about that parable that precedes this passage? The 99 and the one, you remember the shepherd and the sheep? He leaves the 99, he risks them in pursuit of the one. Isn't what Jesus is saying here completely the opposite? Isn't he saying that you are going to send away the one for the protection of the 99? Well, and, and specifically what Jesus is saying is that we're to treat the offending person as we would, as, as, as we would a Gentile or a tax collector. Talking to that Jewish audience, they would have understood a Gentile and a tax collector is someone who's to be excluded. But remembering Jesus, and just think Matthew, as he's writing this, Matthew was a tax collector. So he's thinking, what is Jesus? What is Jesus's? Um, posture towards Gentiles and tax collectors. It is a posture of invitation. It is a posture of inclusion. Stanley Hauerwas in his commentary on Matthew says quite simply that excommun excommunication is a call to come home. Now working through this together this morning, it sounds more than unpleasant. It sounds physically, emotionally, and spiritually tiring. It seems exhausting. 
And it's no wonder we want to just sweep things under the rug or hope that they go away. Yet as a community of people who exist to help one another love God, love each other, and love creation better, we need to be on guard against anything and anyone that seeks to draw us away from our love of God toward love of lesser gods, towards an invitation to idolatry. We need to be aware of anything or anyone that draws us away from our love for one another, for a love of self, an invitation to self-centeredness. We need to be aware of anything or anyone that draws us away from our love for creation to a love for our insatiable appetites, an invitation to consumption and greed. Further, in a society where there are sharp differences around issues of politics and race relations and mask wearing, we need to be on guard against bitterness and division entering into our community. Forced view. We are not immune to these things. It would be foolish for us to think that this could never happen to us. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul warns against the, uh, the way that unchecked, unchecked sin can enter a community. He uses the, the image of yeast working its way through a batch of dough. If the Apostle Paul was writing to Forced View to us today or to any church around the world, he would use the image of sin being like a virus that spreads its way unseen with devastating effects. Sin is like that in the community. But this brings us back to the popular verse of the passage because we have good news. Jesus is assuring us that when we pursue the difficult and taxing work of addressing sin in our community and we seek to restore a sister or a brother who has sinned back into community and when we gather to pray for the restoration of that person, the Father God will be a part of this. God will answer that prayer because this is the prayer at the heart of the Father. It's, his heart is for restoration. And Jesus will be present with us. When Jesus says that he will be present with us, he is imagining to a future time when he will be a resurrected Jesus, mediating our prayers to the Father. These are the prayers. Jesus will mediate these prayers to the Father. Jesus will be present with us when we pray in this way for the restoration of a sinner back into community. We experience the presence of God in community when we pray for restoration and extend forgiveness of those who have broken covenant. But an important question for us is, how do we become a forgiving community? What practices must we take to develop such a heart? And so we're going to close with these thoughts in answering that question because I believe it is the practice of confession. We become a forgiving community when we are a confessing community. Although we occasionally practice corporate confession of sin uh, in our liturgy, um, I wonder if we are still more comfortable with seeing the sin in others than we are comfortable in seeing sin in ourselves. A couple of years ago, Elizabeth went to a workshop hosted by singer-songwriter Steve Bell. And through the course of this workshop, he told this story about a dream that he had. And in this dream, Jesus is condemning a group of priests from Newfoundland who were, uh, who were um, guilty of the sexual assault of children under their care. 
And in the dream, Steve Bell imagines himself standing alongside Jesus, condemning this grievous act. And at some point, Jesus turns to Steve Bell in this dream again, and he says, you may be my friend, but you are not my equal. You belong over there. We want to be like him in the dream. We want to be, imagine ourselves condemning such grievous acts, not believing that we might be complicit in such things. Les Horn, or Saint Les, as we would call him around here, was a man from our community who passed away a number of years ago. And he would often listen. And one of his prayers from about a decade ago went like this. We catch ourselves saying quietly, but Lord, we were never as bad as David. I mean, not adultery, not abusing my power, not murder or something close to murder. You can't convict me of that, can you? How do we answer that question? We answer with confession. This week, as we enter the week of prayer, we're going to invite you into the communal confession of sin. I just turned you all off, didn't I? You don't want to be a part of that. Well, good news. We're not inviting you to bring your laundry list of sin and, and expose it to the, to the rest of the community. What we are going to do is invite you each day at noon to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And if you're like me, you think about the Lord's Prayer as this individual prayer that you pray with God, and that's a fine thing to do, of course, but have you ever, have you ever noticed that the Lord's Prayer is in fact plural? Our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Not only is the Lord's Prayer communal, but, imbe communal, but embedded in it is confession. So when we come together, we'll confess that we have not loved others, we have not loved God, others in creation the way that we ought, and that we've made God of the things that culture tries to woo us with. So this is a good moment for me to just pause and give you a bit more uh, of a commercial, a bit more introduction to the week of prayer that's to come. We're calling the week of prayer Praying the Hours, and this means that every morning, Monday to Friday, we're going to do a 10 to 12 minute Zoom prayer time uh, led by myself. We promise it'll just be 10 to 12 minutes. So it'll be some prayer and scripture reading. And then at noon, uh, Nat is going to do the same thing, uh, 10 to 12 minutes. And it's going to include the reading of the Lord's Prayer. If you can't join us at noon on Zoom, we encourage you to find some time at noon or shortly before or after and just pray to yourself the Lord's Prayer, knowing that you'll be praying it together with us communally. Every evening, starting tonight with Lois and ending on Friday with a concert of prayer led by Cole, we're going to have longer, 30, sometimes 40 minutes of prayer together as a community. The exception to that is Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to provide you resources to go out into your own neighborhood on a prayer walk, praying on behalf of your community. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I think it would be a great community-building experience that when you go out on your prayer walk, Download, if you don't have it, uh, a fitness app like Strava or some other ones that exist. Strava is really the only one I know, and I know lots of you know it as well. But, uh, but track your prayer walk, track the map, and then take a screenshot of it and uh, post it to Instagram using the uh, hashtag, 
Uh, I've got it written down here. It's on your screen. I can't remember what it is, and we'll remind you in the email. It's something about FV Prayer Walks 2021. I think it would be great for us just to see how we are praying together as a community. So Prayer Walk, use your fitness app, screenshot it, post it to your Instagram. I think that'd be a cool thing. As we, uh, as we pray together the hours this week, our desire is to be a community that experiences the presence of God. And these verses in Matthew that we read, particularly those last verses, are so full of promise. And they remind us that when we seek and pray to be a forgiving and restoring community, when we pray for the restoration of those who are lost, and when we extend forgiveness, Jesus is there with us. And to become a restoring community, we must first recognize our own communal brokenness and sin. We must recognize our own sin before we can be a restoring community. And so when we pray these ways, the Lord in his mercy will hear us. Amen? Amen. Forced view, God's peace be with you, and I look forward to seeing you this week through our week of prayer.